Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Marin? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Okay, so we're totally going. Hi, you're listening to, well, hold you, hold your horses. I just told you anything goes. You're listening to Recover Girl. It's a podcast all about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Anna David. If you want to know more about this podcast, go to recovergirlpod.com. And if you want to know more about me and why my mics have uh, hair on them, <laughs> did you just notice that? Yeah. Great. Uh, go to annadavid.com. I'm also just uh, started a new job as the editor-in-chief of In Recovery Magazine, which Woo-hoo. is a full-on print magazine, like that thing that they had in the 90s where you <laughs> looked at it, not on a screen. <laughs> so crazy. You get it in the mail. Amazing. Anyway, it's also online. You can go to inrecovery.com. And today I am so excited because I have a guest here who she doesn't know me this long, but I've known her. Well, we don't talk about our age, but since (laughs) I was 10 years old. Yes. And so we went to grammar school together. She was like, she was like very cool. So I'm cool with her not remembering, but I have this very strong memory of her. One (laughs) conversation in particular. Anyway, it's China Kander. Say hi. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) Um, so we went to, by the way, I wasn't cool, but anyway, go ahead. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Interesting. Tell me, tell me why you say that. Well, I just, I mean, I don't know about myself, like in, on the inside and we'll get into this, but you know, I was drinking already. (laughs) At 10? No, 12. Yeah, me too. Already. Yeah, totally. Eighth grade. But super uncomfortable by, by four. So basically itchy. Yeah. Yeah. And insecure and trying all the crazy hair and, you know, not feeling comfortable in my skin at all ever and terrified and lonely and weird. So it's really interesting that that's like your perception because. Well, I think also it's like in that environment, you know, it was I loved MCDS. Me too. I hated my high school, but MCDS was just the best grammar school ever. So great. But like, I think also it's like to be in in a community as wealthy as that and to be have such good values. That's Mm -hmm. what was so impressive about MCDS Mm because like brands in my high school, the values were just awful. But so I think we were like, it was just like, oh, my God, this famous person's kid goes here. We also had Van Morrison's daughter. Did you know that? Shayna? Only for a year. I didn't know she was there, no. Seventh grade. You're kidding. Where was I? See, I was totally checked out. I you were drunk. You, I was quite drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could have been bombed. I don't know. But, but, but yeah. okay. So, so my memory is like, I j- you always, my memories are you're this bouncy blonde. I don't remember any crazy hair. Like, just totally mm. very gregarious, very um, outgoing. And... And so my memory is, so Lizzie Turner was our mutual friend. Mm. <laughs> At one point, you were, I, I was on the bus to San Rafael. You lived in the city, right? Well, Mill Valley and the city. So I'd, I'd go from mom's house to Mill Valley. She'd take me to school. And then when I was in the city, I'd go on the bus. So One day at least, you came on my bus. And I think Lizzie was spending the night at your house. You must have been going to your mom's. And the and Duran Duran had been in concert, and you went backstage and you talked about meeting Simon LeBon, oh, and I just right. thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever heard in my life. So it was yes. seventh grade, yes. Do well, you remember that? that? Lissy was eighty four. I remember that. Stop concert talking so about clear. us like we're older than we are. Okay? Oh yeah, we're way ancient. Yes, yeah. and I'll tell you right now, it's eighty four Oakland Coliseum. We went. My mom took me backstage. I think I was with Kari Saunders. Do you remember Kari? And the name's familiar. She was like well, she was my best friend at the time. One of them. And um, I li- I was like Beatlemania. I was. I, I made a complete ass of myself. Of course. I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. My mom's like, "Can you chill the fuck out? It's a person." And I'm like, "No, you don't understand." I'd still it's- be like that with Simon the Bond. By oh, the way, oh yeah, no, I still completely. And uh, I mean, I yeah. So you know, 
I completely remember that show. I mean, that will never leave my mind. That was like an epic concert. You got to hang out with them. Maybe it also got exaggerated a yeah, little yeah, bit. No, I hung like, you know, I was in the line of people. It's almost like meeting like, you know, Princess Diana or, right. you know, Prince Charles. You're, you're in like this long line and they're shaking hands very formally, maybe because they're Brits. It was very formal, you know, and you move right along. And of course, I wanted to hang out with them the whole night, as did everybody. But, but I was going to shuffle along. Because we were 10. Like, I don't think of it as like a 10 year old trying to hang out with a band like at the time when when I heard the story I was like well of course and they wanted to hang out with you like I wouldn't think <laughs> that it was so insane like a small child well that's the irony is <clears throat> and even my best friend to this day still is so puzzled because I get really starstruck and I always have since I was little and mm, you'd think coming cute. from my background that yeah. it'd be the exact opposite still you do I still do I saw like <laughs> I remember I was at Marmalade in Malibu and I, I'm sitting there with my husband and I see Gwyneth Paltrow's children Okay, with Blythe Danner sitting next to me. And I'm like 45 years old at the time. My husband's like, what's up? What's wrong? And I'm like, you don't understand. I got to maintain right now. I can't believe it's, it's Moses it's and Apple. Apple and Moses. Oh, my God. You know, because I love going to Paltrow and Chris Martin. So, yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, we. I guess it's just human. You know, we all get starstruck. It's I think. funny because I've gotten so jaded. I was so into that. And possibly that has a little bit to do with like why I remember you telling that, like <laughs> you telling that Duran Duran story, like a, a seminal like moment in my childhood. Like that's interesting and weird. Yeah. And I was <laughs> so upset. Like, and I came here and I worked at People and Us Weekly and I dated famous people. And then I just, I got so jaded and now I could care less. Like right. literally could care you less. You don't about, there's nobody on the planet? Eminem. So if you met him, you'd probably lose your shit. Yep. Yeah. That's the only person I can think I'm of. I'm going to have to hook that up. Do you, have you ever met Eminem? No, but I know people. <laughs> and he's sober, supposedly. Yes, he, yes, he is. And he's open about it. So exactly. Yes, so yes. it's totally fun to it's talk about. It's really awesome and hot that he's sober. I know. Right? I feel and like that's out. the only person. That's the only famous person I've dreamt about. Not true. I used to have dreams about Angelina Jolie all the time. <laughs> it's really <laughs> weird. That was, I think, before I got jaded. Like, dreams that we were best friends all the time. <laughs> well, she seems very interesting. Um, that makes okay, sense. Okay, but let's go back to you. So, so um, okay, so for anybody who doesn't know, um, your parents are Grace Slick and Paul Kantner. And there was a rumor that I have since learned was uh, not true, that you were named God at birth. I actually was, but it was a joke. Okay. So technically, I mean, my mom was basically had just given birth to me and this Roman Catholic nun came in, nurse, nun, nurse, um, came in and was very reserved and said, what did you name your child? And people... My mom would be okay with me saying this. Most people bug her, my mom. Mm -hmm. Like, she just doesn't have a lot of patience for a lot of people. It's just, right. you know, how she is. She's not a bitch. It's not that. It's just hard for her to tolerate a lot of humans. Okay, right, so it right, is right. what it is. Yeah, um, I'm the same. So, so, you know, imagine, I mean, I've never given birth, but imagine just going through that large exhausting process yes p.s the anesthesiologist never showed up so she had a natural childbirth wow she didn't want that kind of yeah. childbirth yeah i don't she was not in a good mood yeah so this nurse came in and she said oh what did you name your child and bugged her you know no yeah. social kind yeah, of consciousness irritated. of yeah. maybe it's not the right time yet yeah um to be fair to my mom so my mom wanted to offend her and on purpose and said small uh god with a small g to be humble Oh my God. Just to piss her off. And the woman was absolutely horrified at work and ran out. So Herb Kane got a hold of that, the writer for the Chronicle. Of course. And uh, printed it. And then from that point forward, the story's been going around. So that's oh, kind of what it is. I didn't know it was in Herb Kane. Speaking of a name from the past, I God, know. what a big deal that was to be. I was once in Herb Kane. Were you? Oh my God. It was like the highlight hey, so of my life. twins. I know. Love that. I know. So <laughs> much. But so, okay. So, because I remember that was a rumor at MCDS. Right. It's and not like name it's, God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it was just also like glamorous and bizarre. And I remember too, my mom telling me that like your mom did like PTA meetings and stuff. Like, real, did we even have PTA? Well, that's, that, I don't remember her doing that, my, but she could have. Yeah. That she would go to like the stuff, you know, the parents' stuff. Hmm. I'm going to have, hmm, she doesn't have a good memory. So it's going to be hard for her I, to recollect. But it's hard to, for me to imagine my mom doing that. But, yeah, I can't imagine that, but it's possible because she was, and she, by the way, P.S., she's okay with me talking about her recovery because yeah. she's totally open about it. Um, she, at that time, um, she was sober in the 80s for a good 10 years. So she's been in and out, in and out. She's been sober a long time now. 
Um, but at that point in time, she was sober, so it's quite possible yeah. that she was kind of in that mode at that time. So so you grew up at, when did you, so your first drink was at 12? First drink was at two. Tell me more. And my mom um, had a party and she gave me a shot of vodka on purpose because she wanted to show the guests that I would just get disgusted and spit it out. So kind of as a joke and party, right. you know, not the normal mom party deal, right. but you know, that's what she wanted to do. So, and I asked for more. Wow. So, and then she went on a Ouija board. This is hilarious when I was like eight and she was messing around with it. And, uh, and she asked it just for, you know, kicks. She's like, is my daughter going to be an alcoholic? And it said, yes. Wow. So the spirits were right. Um, and then, uh, if you believe in that stuff, and then, um, well, Marin Ouija boards, seventies, eighties, it was like <laughs> yeah. how I determined everything. I did a Ouija board and it was, it moved, my hands moved and I, I'm not joking. Oh yeah. It and I did them BS. all the time. Do you, you remember, did? do you remember the Dara Veras from, no. they were from MCS, Maria no. Dara Vera and I used to do Ouija boards all the time. Do you remember light as a feather, stiff as a board? Of course. That worked too. Yeah. At slumber parties, we would do that. I want to say I remember playing it with you. <laughs> Probably. <at> Lizzie Turner's. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just had another memory. I, I think another Lizzie Turner thing. It was like a picnic in a park and we were playing music. Somebody had like a record player out there. I don't understand. That sounds fun. And, and, oh my God, you were playing the Go-Go's. You were into the Go-Go's. <laughs> totally. That would be true. <laughs> yeah. And I remember we somebody played, and it might have been you, Foreigner 4. That could be true, too. <laughs> that was a very important record to I me. I had a very eclectic taste in music. It went kind of all across the... But that's kind of good, you know? Yeah, I mean, my parents really raised me well that way. They really exposed me to a lot of different kind of music. And vodka. Kidding. Um, vodka, so, yes. So did, they didn't give you more, too. <laughs> no, that was the end of that joke yeah. um, because I asked for more. So I think my mom was like, okay, and we're not going to give her any more. Um, but yeah, I started really piling it down at, at 12. And I was in much need. I mean, I was... <clears throat> I really for believe for me um, that it's genetic, that it's a disease, and I believe that it's absolutely. There's so many alcoholics and addicts on in my family on both sides. It's just littered yeah. all over the place, generations, generations. So um, I was in great need of uh, for that to be my solution, um, and um, I got I the first time I drank, I had a blackout, I passed out, and I threw up, and it never changed. Right. Until right. I got sober this last time and relapsed a lot. But um, yeah, it never changed. And so you got sober the first time young. You went to TAM, is that right? So I went to TAM for just a little bit and I got super lonely because all my friends were going to Redwood. So I, yeah. I transferred. Yeah. And um, that's where I graduated from Redwood High School. And uh, I got sober for the first time when I was 15. Um, and my mom was in um, in a program at that time. And so I said, well, can I go with you? And she was actually quite pleased. She was kind of surprised. And uh, so I stayed sober five years and I did not work a program. Um, I basically smoked, flirted and went to like a thousand billion meetings. And, you know, as you know, that doesn't work. Well, um, that was my first year of sobriety you just described. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it stayed. Well, hey, but it was your first year. You yeah. did much, but you caught on to the uh, yeah, fact yeah, yeah, that, yeah. you know, well, this is not going to work. I got to say 15 to 20 would be awful years to have to be sober. I mean, like. You know, it was fun. It was great. I loved it because, you know, I watched, for instance, my grades literally go from Fs, all Fs to straight A's on a roll. Right. I mean, within a month. Yeah. Right. All the things that everybody hears. It was so immediate, the change for me and the joy mm -hmm. came up and the self-esteem started building. And that's when I really, I got into theater um, when I was about eight at MCDS with Barry Minia. Of course. What was the your best, eighth grade play? The be uh, Carousel, I think. Oh. We did, I don't know if you remember, we did this weird one that's one uh, George Noctreeb's dad wrote oh. called The Gold Escargot. You must have had to go because we yes. always had to go. It was like yeah. a, the super, it was the one year they didn't do like a Broadway one. But yes, anyway, okay. Yes. Did you have the lead? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. That might have been, I don't remember, but I know that Barry was the reason I really fell in love oh, with yeah. acting. Yeah. He was the one that helped me catch the bug. May he rest in peace. And yeah. then um, after that, uh, so it, when I got sober, um, obviously in high school, I, uh, and I got sober freshman year. So I started just immersing myself in the plays. Michelle Swanson, who I'm still close with, was a brilliant progressive theater teacher. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were doing original plays and Shakespeare at 15. I mean, she really, she was doing Sam Shepard plays. I mean, it was wow. the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Um, and then plays written by outside artists, brand new plays, current plays. One in particular we did um, in 85. 
five or six about AIDS, the AIDS crisis. And any kids who came had to bring parent slips, permission slips, because that was, you know, right at the sort of height um, when it was really stigmatized. And um, so I really sort of grew and bloomed um, those four years in high school because of Michelle and because of sobriety. And we had meetings at school. We had a progressive counselor who got us together. And at lunchtime, we would have meetings. How many sober kids were there? A lot. There were a lot. We go to Zim's after meetings. You remember Zim's? Zim's. You mean what, that was the one by the freeway? By Larkspur? the freeway, yes. God, I loved that place. That's the best. It's the best name. <laughs> I can't believe. Like, I love that I can remember the conversation about Duran Duran, but like Zim's sounds like the. I could never have remembered that in a Zim's million years. Zim's is holy ground, man. Zim's Fuck, is it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's yeah. the best. Ugh. So we would go after and, you know, there were so many great times and so much of it worked. But The problem was nothing on the inside of me really fundamentally, I didn't have that psychic change, that shift. It didn't happen. I had fun. I got a little happier, but I really kind of did that workaholism thing that a lot of people slip into, which can get very dangerous. It's sort of, I transferred one addiction for another and just, yeah, I was, you know, productive, but I didn't, I didn't do the step work at all. So I've been doing the workaholism thing for 17 years and so far <laughs> it hasn't been that dangerous, but I'm well, but working. Hey, I guess. <laughs> um, so, okay. So at 20, what happened? Well, um, I had a relapse uh, because in my estimation, because I didn't, you know, work the steps and I got really itchy. Yeah. It's really no more kind of interesting or deeper than that. It's just, I was very itchy, angry, irritable, restless, discontent fearful the whole thing and so um and young mm-hmm. and um and i just pretty much went f it i mean it was really that simple and um i went out for a couple of months and then came back very quickly um <clears throat> when i w- what maybe like eight months something like that and i moved to la when i was 21 mm-hmm. and really got immersed in the west hollywood um recovery gay, scene gay a gay a it's so wonderful yeah moved to west hollywood that was my first apartment of course did you live on sweetser i lived on westmount oh i feel Actually. like everyone's first apartment is on sweetser that's Sweet my theory Sweet yeah, yeah. Is the best i know okay no, so i lived in this amazing bungalow yeah. like 1920s bungalow 420 a month rent control course, amazing yeah. right yeah. and it was it was wonderful so i got completely immersed um in uh in the program there and um Started really growing and again, did kind of half-ass step work. Not kind of, did do half-ass step work. Got itchy again, then went out again. Mm -hmm. And then I did like the let's do pot and not drink deal with my ex-boyfriend for like many years. Five years I didn't drink. Um, And I became like a total, I just went deadhead. I go, okay, I'm going to have a new identity. I'm going to do deadhead stuff. I'm just going to be stoned and life is going to be great. But literally go see the dead all the time? No, I, mean, I wasn't really part. a fan of the dead, no. no but you know, like hippie out, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and just I'm going to do the weed deal and uh, I'm going to see if that works. Marijuana and, maintenance plan. Yeah, it didn't work at all. Yeah. And actually, I might be the only human on the planet that was a complete and total bitch stoned all the time. Yeah. I think it I didn't was work. too. I hate pot. <laughs> yeah, it was like, but that's paranoia. a long time to smoke pot if it, you didn't like it. It was what I had. You know how that goes. It was like I swore I would not drink. Yeah, and then eventually, for all the children listening, um, it really is true. And at least in my and adults, actually, in my condition, <laughs> um, they say pot's a gateway drug. Yeah, absolutely true right. with me in in this instance. Um, and do you want to hear about what happened? Yeah, of course. Okay, so. Uh, so as with a couple of the relapses before, um, it had a lot to do with a guy, surprisingly, right? Yeah. So this boyfriend and I broke up and I completely spun out and I started, I had obviously no program and I started drinking within about three months. I went to England with my best friend. Oh yeah. I read this. You did. Oh well, my you know, God. No, an interview you, you gave. Oh, no, okay. No, no. I'm like, scandal. Where did you read <laughs> I saw, that? I saw pictures. Yeah, sorry. Keep going. Oh, P.S. Thank God there was no I cell know, phone at I this know, point. I um, know. Really, it's getting been... sober before Facebook was a blessing. Oh, huh? thank God. Um, yeah, there's a lot that could have been photographed that was really ugly. But um, yeah, you went and you just did it up for like a month. So I go to England and I'm like primed and ready. I'm just so irritated and a mess, just mentally a complete mess. And so I'm ready. You know, I'm just primed. And um, and we go there, and uh, oh yeah, wait, back up a little bit on that plane ride. This is how you knew I was in trouble. I went to my doctor and I lied and I said, um, I'm going on a business trip. First of all, like there, was no, 
yeah. there was no business happening at this point yeah. at, at all. Yeah. I go, hey man, can I? It's a long business trip. I need to be able to sleep on the plane because I got to work all alive, of course. I need some Xanax. Yeah. Now I had never been a pill person. Right. At all. I could care less about pills. So and they felt really good. So I took many. Yeah. And I did I don't remember the plane flight to this day. Get there, we get to a bar, and I literally had 10 drinks in one night. Complete and total like mania running through Liverpool actually is where we ended up for a couple of days before London. But all clothes off because all clothes always came off. Yeah. Of that course. was instant. Yeah, I mean yeah. horny and clothes off and immediate. Yeah. And then puking, which is really sexy. Yeah. Um that kind of went like that every yeah. time. And so um, that night was total debauchery. And um, for the next nine months, it was really horrible. And it just, I got a job at the Viper Room. Um, right around that time in April, I was the assistant manager with my best friend who was actually the manager. And um, so manager, we can describe, <clears throat> in my instance, assistant manager, is getting drunk every night for free, Yeah, <clears throat> is what I did, announcing bands. Mm-hmm. And kind of like pretending like I'm doing something on the computer. Right, that was right. my job. But that sounds like a dream for an alcoholic. <laughs> it was yeah. completely. And you know what? I always when I share, I do say I have the Viper Room to thank um, for my speedy kind of entry into rehab. Right, first, right, and it was right. the first time in rehab too, by the way. And I always used to like arrogantly say before, "Oh, well, I've never been to rehab." You know, right, all right. that bullshit, right? Like, well, at least I never went to it. Okay, well, it all came back in my face. Right. But <clears throat> yeah, when you work at the, when I work, you know, at the Viper Room and I get free drinks every night, that accelerated the disease fast. Yeah. So thank God I didn't die. Um, I could have easily started driving drunk um, every single night, yeah. which I'd never done before. That escalated in a blackout every night. Yeah. PCH, blackout, everything, the whole thing. Oh, you were driving still all the way over to the west side? No, like when I go to PCH, yeah. like, you know, whenever I went. Yeah, yeah. Blackouts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was getting really bad. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sleeping with people that I wasn't, shouldn't have yeah. been sleeping yeah. with. Um, yeah, just, and the, you know, it's just the whole long story that we're also aware of. So, um, but yeah, I checked myself into rehab in, on December 4th. 1997 so i made my date december 5th wow that is one long time yeah it is so it's 20 something years 20 in december god willing wow yeah this is a big year yeah it's exciting yeah yeah i and so and so in that time that when did the vj mtv thing happen that was during high school when i was sober that was you were coming down to la uh new york Wait a second. I thought you went from Marin to L.A. No. So what happened was I got hired. At the time, I was the youngest VJ they ever hired. Yeah. Now, apparently, I've heard there was somebody that was 14. So, like, they broke my record. Oh, which kind of, nice. I mean, I'm happy for them. But, yeah, you know, yeah. it was a nice record to hold um, for a, a while. But, um, no, I got hired at 15. So every break during high school, they would fly me to New York every summer, which was amazing. And every break. So winter break, spring break, um, all through high school. And it was it was oh wonderful. God. So you had to, it didn't happen until you got sober. Right. Wow. Yep. And, and then tell me about acting. So then you were like, I'm going full force into acting. So I, um, my first really, well, my first professional job under that kind of title, that umbrella, um, would be MTV, Mm -hmm. even though VJ is, you know, is what it's kind of its own, um, sort of field. Um, I, that was the first paying, very well-paying gig that I had. So I did that for five years. Then I got a job as a DJ in San Francisco on KRQR. Oh, yeah. When I was 18, <clears throat> while I was still doing MTV, I would do Saturday nights. I do an all-request night. And it was really fun. Yeah. And um, so I did that for a couple of years till I moved to LA. And then I really wanted to try television and film because I'd never done that. I had been really trained in theater. That was my background. And I loved doing plays, but I just, you know, I wanted to have fun and see how it went and build a career. So I had a wonderful career here. Um, even even kind of in and through um, my drinking and, and, you know, sobriety, as I said, it was off and on between 20 and <clears throat> 26. So it was a little rocky, but I got jobs and I kept a lot of the jobs and then some of them I didn't. Um, and so... That went well. You know, I did a lot of sitcoms. I did a lot of films. um, And I had a blast. It was great. Do you think if you had been sober, you would still be doing it more? At the time, you mean? Yeah. Um, Well, no, because, you know, I had, um, when I got sober this last time, um, you know, when you're in rehab, hopefully you have a great counselor who has you really go deep and think about 
what are my triggers? Yeah. You know, what are what are the events and people and people, places and things that um, are contributing to my relapsing? Because, you know, I was a chronic relapser. So I really had to take a good look at, am I happy doing this? Yeah. Meaning acting. And the answer was no. Right. Um, not at all. I mean, I a part of it's not acting's fault because we all know I would never blame acting, but it was my being drunk that got in the way of having any ability to be self-aware, obviously, and to really even sit for five seconds and say, am I happy doing right, this? Right. I was I just kept doing it because it's what I was good at it. Yeah. And I it's what I knew. Right. And I couldn't turn down the money. The money was great. Yeah. I was getting like 10000 a week. Right. Like when I bottomed out, I was doing home improvement. I had like a nine episode arc right. as a guest star. And that was like the irony, of course, is that it was the greatest job I'd ever had. And I was bottoming out. Yeah. And luckily we had hiatus when I was really bottoming out and it just went right together and I checked into rehab. So bottoming out, just was it just alcohol? Did you do drugs? Like, were you doing coke and all that? Interestingly enough, um, no. I, I, my bottom really, it was definitely like just gallons of alcohol. But what really contributed to my checking myself in somewhere for the first time ever was that um, I have PTSD as well. I've lived with it um, since I was 21 is when I really first started noticing panic attacks. From childhood? Yes, from trauma and childhood, Specific yes. events or... Um, there are some specific events, yeah, molestation, um, not by a family member, but I had I was sexually abused, um, and also um, due to familial verbal abuse. Yeah, um, certain members of my family were there was ongoing emotional and verbal abuse, and so um, it was from that directly. Yeah. And so I definitely was at the time that you know right before I checked into rehab. I was trying to medicate the panic attacks with wine, mm-hmm. as a lot of us do, you know. And what, what started to happen was it backfired and turned on me, and the wine started to create panic attacks. Yeah. And that's when I knew I was in trouble. Wow. It terrified me. Yeah. So I dro- I remember I drove myself to rehab in the rain. I, I'll never forget the day. And I could barely drive my car. I was hyperventilating. I couldn't breathe. My heart was racing. I started feeling like I was disassociating. Like uh, people with panic attacks know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And God bless you, anyone who's listening, I understand. They're so debilitating and frightening. Um, and, and I have a problem even still driving um, on the freeway with panic attacks. I still have trouble. Do you, tr- how do you treat it now? So, <clears throat> you know, I, luckily I checked into rehab and was honest about that. And they quickly diagnosed me with PTSD and panic disorder. So a couple times in recovery um, for a total of, mm, I'd say three years total, two different times I went on meds mm-hmm. um, and I tried a slew of different meds and they just didn't work for me. Um, unfortunately, the side effects were s- worse mm. than my actual condition. Mm-hmm. And I am like not a person who pretends to be a doctor. I hate when people do this who are not doctors who say nobody sober should be on meds. I think that's highly irresponsible Definitely. and actually really dangerous. Um so for me, I would never tell somebody else what to do, including sponsees. I've never been that person. So I'm just, of course, now speaking for myself that I didn't happen to be a person where it worked. Yeah. Um, so what I did was, and it's been working quite well for years now, is um, yoga and working out, making sure that I exercise because that's really important for me as far as anxiety goes. Prayer and meditation, of course, um, I do a lot of. And... A lot of quiet time, you Mm -hmm. know, not even just reading. You know, I I have to have a real balance in my life um, of a lot of quiet time and then people time. (laughs) So I'm responsible for that, you know, and accountable to that. And because I'm not a candidate for meds, I really have to be very on point every day with sleep, Mm -hmm. diet, Mm -hmm. um, people I'm around. Definitely who I hang with is Mm -hmm. important. I I don't hang out with toxic people. there's a lot of different things I do. I work really hard in yeah. my recovery. I mean, I go to minimum five meetings a week. Um, and you've always done that in the last pretty 17 much. years? Yeah. Or Almost 20 years. years. Yeah. 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 I mean, there was one year where I was a little bit like shitty about it, you know, just a little more lax, which was not a good move. Um, but yeah, the majority of my sobriety, because I have a healthy fear. Yeah. You know, I know I am such a severe alcoholic that... um. I know what I'm capable of. Right. And I don't ever let myself off the hook in terms of forgetting that. Um, and so 
I do. I have that healthy fear. And you know, honestly, I love meetings. I absolutely love my community. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not a person who goes, fuck, I got to go to another meeting. I'm not that person. Mm -hmm. I look forward to it. I get dressed up. I get excited. Mm. Our big Saturday night one that we have in the town I live in, like there's 300 people and I see my sponsees. I see friends. Like it's just so much fun. Yeah. Um, And it's, you know, it's not unlike for me as it was at a bar. Right. Just without the alcohol, so much better because there's you know people aren't being stupid, right. <laughs> including myself. It's like the the greatest group of people, you know, because alcoholics and addicts are brilliant and funny yeah. and warm and and just creative and at least the ones I hang out with, you know, yeah, um, just wonderful people. So I have a solid, um, really solid community that I rely on. That and that's the other thing to answer the question about taking care of myself with the PTSD and my. Um, and uh, recovery with alcohol and drugs is, I don't know what it is. It's not that I'm holier or better than anybody at all, but I have always been a person who asks for help. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit how stupid I look, mm-hmm. how stupid I sound. If I'm inconveniencing you, I could give a shit. And I'm so grateful because I think truly contrary action is what what has kept me sober. Right. I will reach out. I will do whatever, literally going to any lengths. And I just do because I know I'm in trouble at the time, you know? I, I so get that. And I think it's so interesting when people are like, you got to learn to ask, you know, for help. I'm like, all I do is ask for like, <laughs> yeah. I, I have a lot of problems, but not that. Aren't you grateful? Yes. It's really, really know, lucky. We, right? We don't. I but don't also know why. it's I do think I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday that like, you know, I know a lot of people get sober and then they're like, well, really, my primary thing is is people and Al-Anon issues. And I'm like. Uh, this is what someone said to me yesterday. I'm totally stealing it. Like I'm an alcohol, I'm an alcoholic. I have to work hard to care that much about what other people think. Like I'm so <laughs> not the Al-Anon. I mean, I am. I have, of course, codependency issues. Just growing up with, like, you know, some family stuff. Yeah. But, but really, is that sort of part of your thing too? That it's really more alcoholism and. I think it. Th- you know, what's interesting is I. That's another part. I've, I've been uh, in Al-Anon for since uh, 2002, and I love Al-Anon. I'm also really active in that program, and so I. I grew up with all. I mean, f- all four parents uh, and many family members were doing a lot of drugs and drinking, and I'm not, of course, going to say they're alcoholics or addicts because. Right. That's for them to say. But um, there was definitely drugs and alcohol around all the time. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely an Al-Anon person. Um, but the peep, it's interesting because the what has happened to me over time in Al-Anon is everything I had hoped would happen, which is that I don't care what people think for the most part. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I do. But in general, I really don't care. And I'm not an asshole about it. And that's what I always wanted. It's not like I'm like, Fuck what anybody thinks. That's not my attitude. Mm-hmm. It's actually really, I mean, it's amazing. It's healthy. Yeah. It's like whatever you think is like, there's not a lot I can do about it. Right. And I love you. And if you think I'm whatever you think I am, that's okay. Right. Because it's cool. Like, uh, what, there's, I totally understand now that it's not about me. It's about them. Yeah. And um, there, I guess I'll just move on or you can move on. Like, I don't get whacked out about it. When in the beginning, it was very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of insecurity and I get triggered by people's eye rate, you know, their oh, eyebrow yeah. raises and it's like I, you know, completely crumble. I mean, I really suffered in the beginning. Yeah. I was having a hard time with people. Definitely a hard time. And um, now I don't. And mm-hmm. it's really a blessing. Do you remember when that changed or was it just like one day you're like, that's weird. This doesn't bother me. Mm. Pretty early on. Mm-hmm. I'd say within the first five years, about year five, I started to gain some real heart understanding, not just intellectual, but I really started to feel comfortable in my skin Mm -hmm. as far as being around other people Mm -hmm. and not wanting to like either punch them in the face or run and go home and cry. You know what I mean? Like it was always vacillating between one or the other. I hate you or, and I'm so insecure that like, I don't look at me weird. Um, So that started to change and it was really a mix of things, not just Al-Anon, but I had been, I did yoga, um, for about 10 years straight in the beginning of my sobriety, very religiously. And that was just as important as meetings, the program. What about therapy? Therapy. I've been in the whole time pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And I love therapy. I mean, I like, and it's not because I'm crazy. I stay in it because I want to remain accountable to the people around me. I want to remain accountable to God. I want to remain accountable to my sponsees. I want to remain accountable to society, but especially my husband and mother, because they're who I'm closest with. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, 
what I've seen work a lot for people is kind of just what I adopted. It's not, of course, I'm not inventing any wheel, but what I've found, you know, for, for 35 years of being in and or around AA or NA or A's, all the A's, and just being in, you know, that kind of world, the recovery world in general, general um, is that the approach that seems to work best for a lot of people, and it certainly works for me, is an integrated approach, right? So if it's body, mind, and spirit, it has to be body, mind, and spirit, right, on a daily basis. And of course, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm pretty good at being really disciplined at covering those areas every day um, because I have to. Right. I don't want to survive. I don't want to be a bitch. I don't want to be irritable. I don't want to take my shit out on other people. It feels shitty to me. And then I have to make amends. And I honestly, I don't want to make amends. Right. <laughs> like, right. I want to avoid that. I want to be kind. Right. And uh, it's not as easy. If it was so easy, then there wouldn't be all these programs. Right. Because I oh, love everybody, love each other. Well, at least for me, it takes a lot of consistent work. Yeah. And so I love therapy because what I do is I meet with my sponsor once a week. I set this up where we meet once a week for an hour and I go to therapy once a week. And during those two mm. settings, I tell on myself, I talk about my secrets, the shitty thoughts I'm having, the motives I'm having, sh you know, crappy motives, things I've done. Do I own amends? I run all the dark stuff by both these women and I love it. Like I love rigorous honesty. Yeah, it's my yeah. jam because yeah. it's so great because you get great results. Right. Right. If you bullshit your therapist or your sponsor, you're not going to get great results. Yeah. Even if you do that, well, you know how to, like, it's like a four step. If you bullshit on your four step one iota, you're not going to get the results right. that they talk about in the book. Yeah. It's just math. Right. Yeah. So it works that way too with me now, which is that I want the most, I, I'm an addict. I want the most I can get out of that interaction. Yeah, yeah. The healing, man. Let's get like the best healing. So it's good, you know? And um, so I really do. I tell the truth to both of them every week. And I, I walk out of there floating on air, you know? It's okay. A couple things. First of all, I think it's always really like when you, when you say something like, I go to five meetings a week and I have almost 20 years and people go, wow, that's so great. And you're like, I don't do that because I'm so awesome. I do that because it's like I'm after, like you said, like the best result. Yes. It's, you know what? It, it's like we talk about regarding the stigma um, that's going on in this country still, which is so heartbreaking, is that, you know, we all in our community are so, it's so it's such a familiar conversation around diabetes and cancer, right? Like looking at addiction at, and recovery as, okay, nobody's shaming people with cancer or right. diabetes. If you have cancer, you're not going to skip chemotherapy, right? Right for any reason. Um, I don't know anybody that has had cancer that has done that, right? You want to feel the best you can, and you want to get well, and you want to continue to get well and recover. So I've always used that theory, right? Since I've gotten sober, is how do I um, function at a high level, right? If I want to thrive. There's a lot of things, and I hate using the word work, honestly, because it's not work. It's right. not like I'm in a coal mine or I'm, you know, right. saving people's lives as an EMT in an ambulance. It's it's not work like that. It's like, um, it's the opposite, actually. It's like, I get, you know, you hear this all the time. I actually get to do this because I'm alive. Right. And so many of my friends are dead. So many that I've seen buried over the last 20 years. It's heartbreaking. Right. And- uh so I literally do these things every day because I don't want to die. Well, and it's that idea that like it's not a lot of work. A lot of work is living with resentments, doing drugs. Great point. Um, living angry. You know, and you it's, know? it's interesting because I have a new sponsor as in in the last week. And mm. she's having me do daily 10th steps that I actually have to fill out and send to her. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. what's crazy is like. In the first three days, I had a resentment every day. Like I, I do four, like I do four steps every couple of years, like whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was like in three days, I had three <laughs> very real resentments that I would just walk around with if someone hadn't had me fill it out on a sheet of paper. Do you right? know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like you don't notice the level of sort of discomfort you're living with if you're comfortable with it's it. It's true until you. It's a great point though until you write it down. Yeah, and you're addressing it. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, and so in terms of your mom being a, one of the closest people, she's sober. You guys have had yeah. a long journey with all of this. Did you, originally, did you get you got sober at the same time? Originally, no. She, so she started going in 1979, and I was eight, and she would take me to meetings. 
as a kid and mm-hmm. I would be one of those kids in the back drawing and coloring mm-hmm. like you see in meetings a lot and um but I hung out with her and her friends all the time and I loved her friends they were just the most interesting like I said before artists and funny and brilliant and laughing and they have these sparkles in their eyes and they were just fun people to hang out with and so the benefit of that was when I first got sober when I was 15 I had already been around all these people for years so I knew where to go and I was attracted to AA right. because of these people specifically. Um, they had that sparkle mm. and they were living it. They weren't the angry, dry alcoholics that you see that, you know, um, they were the people really working on themselves and it was attractive. So it was, and it felt safe because I had been in and around it so long. So I really have my mother to thank a hundred percent for that because that first time, especially she's the one that introduced me to AA because she would always take me. And um, and so now, so you went to seminary school. The, what it, the, you so me. what I did was, I, like I was saying before about acting, um, when I got sober, I gave up acting immediately. Mm-hmm. And it was very freeing. And I went, wow, what do I want to do? Who am I? What am I interested in? I was 26 and um, I had always wanted to go to college. So I went to Santa Monica College mm-hmm. and um, then I transferred to Loyola Marymount University and I majored in theology. And completely, it was because of the 11-step work that I was doing in the beginning of my sobriety that I got, I fell completely in love with God and and theology and religion and spirituality, all different kinds and just the search and the seeking. I fell in love with that process. And and so I went, I'm all in, man. I thought, what do I want to think about, study about, talk about, be in the rest of my life? And that was it, Mm -hmm. was theology. So... um, Spent many years studying under the most wonderful priests and Buddhist monks and just, you know, my fellow students. And um, and I left there and then I took a break and worked in recovery for a while. I was working as a tech um, mm-hmm. at various rehabs and sober livings, loved doing that. And then I thought, you know, I want to go to seminary and uh, and I want to be a pastor. I want to get ordained. Um, and that had always been talking to me since early recovery, interestingly enough. When I first started reading the Bible, I'd never read it in my life, ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I wasn't raised with any um, Christianity at all. And so when I was seeking with the 11-step work, I, uh, I started reading the Bible. And I fell in love with Jesus's, what Jesus had to say, mm. primarily. Um, more than any of the Bible at that point, that I was so attracted to him, like instantly attracted to him and his ministry, his message. So, uh, and I'd always heard about the right-wing Christian stuff and it repulsed me. It was like, how can these people be doing this? It's the antithesis of what he teaches. So that was like, if I had anything going with Christianity, I was repelled right. because of what I had seen and, and the abuses that had gone on for thousands of years. So I kind of you know approached it a little bit like, and, but when I started just sort of isolating myself with it, with the red writing is what I was directed to read, right? Mm-hmm. Which in, is his words um, or are his words. I fell in love with what he had to say. So that had been sort of nipping at me ever since I started reading the Bible was that small voice that a lot of pastors talk about the call, quote unquote. Some of that has to do with this kind of gentle nudge that, you know, a lot of us know as God's voice, regardless of religion or spirituality, right? The idea of the higher power speaking. Mm -hmm. And generally you hear people, it's interesting, talk about the quiet, still voice. It's not this loud, booming, screaming. Right. It's always this beautiful, gentle, but kind of firm, you know, um, and I'd always heard like certain things coming to me. Um, and same thing for years and years and years. And I always pushed it back like a lot of people. I thought I wrestle with it all mm-hmm. the time. And I go, me, a pastor? My background is like crazy. You right. know what I mean? I, I don't really. But it um, it got really strong. And so I started investigating I started, I went to seminary starting uh, 2014 and I go part-time, so I'm still there. Okay. And I'm halfway through. And it took me years actually to discern what denomination I wanted to be a part of because I really was looking for a denomination and church that was like AA. That's kind of all I would settle for, you know, very inclusive and loving and open arms and um, fun and loud and raucous and, you know, anybody can be who they are and all races welcome, all sexualities. I found that that was in my travels and research. It's hard to find, sadly enough. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I did a story on one called Reality. Do you know Reality, those people? Mm-mm. There's there's one issue upon which we disagree, but they are mostly very inclusive. Go on. Yeah. So I uh, I found Disciples of Christ, mm-hmm. Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and um, they that worked for me. Mm-hmm. I also heard Janis Joplin was a disciple. I'm like, yes, okay, right. that makes sense to me. But uh, I had I had wanted to be an Episcopal priest. I was going between that because I like the Episcopal Church, um, but not a fan of the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm all about like kind of bottom up theology, which is more earthy, more like everyone's equal. Um, so that that was was tough for me to swallow, but I have great respect for the Episcopal Church and then UCC as well. Um, very was very interested in them too. So I just landed where I landed, and it's been great. I've met wonderful people, um, and now I'm on this amazing journey that has morphed into. I just got commissioned as a pastor in March, um, wow. and that was a big deal. Yeah. Thank you. That was a big deal, and. Um, I'm working with a particular church in Pomona called Urban Mission as their satellite pastor, basically because I live, you know, kind of far away. Um, but I'm the minister of substance use disorder and recovery. Oh, my God. At that church. Yeah. And Does then, that exist uh, at other churches? Uh, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I haven't much heard of that. That actual title, yeah, like my it. pastor made it up, which I love. Yeah. I'm like, because they're so open. They're amazing. And uh, and out of the box and, you know, visionaries at this church. So I went with that. I'm like, awesome. That's a great title. I'm I'm so down. It's uh, so honored. Um, And then backing up a little bit, and when I was a little bit going into seminary, you know, it had been about mm, two years I had been in seminary and um, I had gone to the Unite to Face Addiction concert. Uh, at at, at in Washington DC, in yeah. DC, and I had heard about it on Facebook from a friend posting. I didn't even know what was going on. Yeah, and my mentor at Disciple Seminary Foundation, Dr. John Burquist, he said, "Here's a plane ticket. Mm-hmm. Get on the plane, go collect all the information you can, and come back." Mm-hmm. I mean, he's amazing. He's like an incredible man. And so I went. I hopped on a plane within a week, and I found myself on the hill mm-hmm. for Advocacy Day mm-hmm. with. All these people I knew from California and many other people yeah. in the offices of like Ted Lou. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. I just followed God's lead and I ended up with all these amazing people, totally last minute. Yeah. And I fell in love with advocacy starting that weekend. I had never ventured into advocacy, recovery advocacy. I'd always just done, you know, my own work um, as a sponsor for years. I fell in love with it. And uh, so I met tons of people that day, right? And I, um, I'm like... I had seen the anonymous people yep. about a year or two before, and there's talk at this thing, and I go, "Oh, this is Greg Williams. This yeah. is the guy who did." I went, "Wow, this guy's a visionary. He's yeah. amazing, right?" So through a friend, mutual friend, she texted me and she goes, "I want to cook you guys up because yeah. I think you'd be a good connection." Started talking to Greg. He calls me in December of 2015, and he says, "Would you be the National Action Network faith leader for the country for oh, facing my addiction?" God, I love it. The most, I mean. I literally cried. I was like, I remember where I was standing and I thought, this is a fruit of recovery. This is like, it took me, you know, at the time, uh, 18 years. And this is the stuff that happens to us in recovery. I mean, it was such a moving, I was so grateful and honored, you know? So since then, I've been doing work with with Greg and I'm so honored. Um, Jim Hood as well, who heads it up. And Ivana has become a good friend Mm -hmm. of mine. She's um, the director of, of advancement. And so, and Michael King, we've all, and Ryan um, Hampton, shout out. Yep. Um, so it's been just so wonderful to work with this organization. They're doing such great work. Um, and there's so many events that we've now done. Um, and another big one's coming in July. Um, oh, I don't even know about it. Well, yeah, this is, so So basically my ministry, as far as advocacy goes, has morphed because I've kind of just followed the lead. Um, my vision has always been to join the recovery movement with the faith community. Mm-hmm. Because I think that while there is so much great work being done, there's not enough. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of misunderstanding, per- particularly in the Christian church. I say that with sort of the Air church quotes, universal, yeah. universal yeah. Um, not one particular denomination. There is still a lot of talk that you hear that's around um, moral failing, mm-hmm. um, sinning, quote mm-hmm. unquote. You're sinning if you're an addict. You're backsliding. You're not reading the Bible enough. You're not praying hard enough. All of that language like literally hurts my heart. Right. And it's what drives me every day to uh, create a bridge, you know, a marriage between the two communities by educating in various different um 
um, arenas. Yes, different arenas. So, for instance, the summer, um, I created a a workshop Mm -hmm. that we did at the Regional Assembly for Disciples of Christ um, last October, and I submitted it for the General Assembly in Indianapolis, which is, it happens every two years, it's thousands, right? It's the big one. Mm -hmm. Um, And they accepted it. And it's it's on, it's called Substance Use Disorder and Living in Recovery. And this year, it's uh, July 9th in Indianapolis, and... Um, my panelists are going to include Ivana mm-hmm. Grahovac, who is, like I said, the director of advancement facing addiction, and also um, <clears throat> Dop- uh, Dr. R. Andrew Chambers, who is one of the top psychiatrists in Indianapolis, who has worked extensively with substance use disorder and recovery. So he, those two are going to be the main speakers. I'm, of course, going to tell my story and include um, some comments as well. But I really want the focus to be them talking um, and and speaking from from their expertise, from their standpoint and their vantage point, because the primary audience is going to be pastors mm-hmm. and then some lay people as well who work in and around, you know, congregations, um, but really to educate and to marry these two communities. So if people want to find out more about that, um, where could they go to the Facing Addiction site? Um, they can actually um, look up General Assembly 2017 General Assembly Disciples of Christ. But they can Google that. And lay people can go. Anybody can Anybody go. Anybody can go. Um, and so we have to get towards wrapping up. Where can people find out more about you? So, um, well, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I have this really interesting job at this point where um, – I am like satelliting with everybody. Right. So basically, you know, facing addiction is what it is. And a lot of it is online. Um, and then my church also, I really just joined on with very recently as their pastor. So things are like, they're kind of all over the Do place. Do you have a website? Where I don't yet. Okay. I actually Maybe don't. Maybe it's time. I know. I think it might be. But um, no, but you know what? They can reach me. The easiest way is my email. Mm-hmm which is China Eisler at yahoo.com. Great. I'm still a Yahoo person. Yeah, don't judge As far me. as like the public You're not goes. AOL. Yeah, no, I have another I have another email, but that's more private. Secret, I might get I, it. Secret, yes. <laughs> but yes, pu- for public stuff, um, you're, anybody is more than welcome to email me at that address for now. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm working with all these different organizations and it's fantastic, but I don't have an actual like email address there or um, website. Okay, well, I cannot thank you enough for thank doing you. this. It's been- you know, 20 whatever years in the making. So this good to see you. And thank you for asking me. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> this has been so fun. I really yeah. so remember that day on the bus. I can't <laughs> even tell you how real it is. Um, so, so you guys, you've been listening to Recover Girls podcast all about addiction and recovery. Again, if you want to find out more information about it, go to recovergirlpod.com. And if you want to see what I'm up to lately, go to inrecovery.com. We will see you next time. Thank, thank you, you so much. You.